The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following program belong solely to the host and guest and do not necessarily reflect those of this radio station, our parent company, advertisers, or affiliates. Welcome to Sharing Our Stories. We share stories of support for individuals in recovery from substance misuse and mental health-related issues. There are numerous pathways to recovery, and each week we welcome powerful leaders and role models who have struggled in drug and or alcohol addiction, have found a pathway to recovery, and who thrive as positive community members with an ongoing vision of success. Join us as we share our experiences, strength, and hope. When the world says, give up, hope whispers. Try it one more time. Welcome to Sharing Our Stories. My name is Slim, along with Nani Al-Jalil from Tribe Recovery Homes and our guest, Rock Kahiga from Oklahoma. And if you're tuning in for the first time ever, whether you're listening to us on the radio, on YouTube, or on Facebook, um, this program is about addiction and recovery. We bring in guests to talk about their struggles with addiction to drugs and or alcohol and to let you know where they are in their recovery because we want to share that, yes, people recover from addiction that you don't have to suffer in your for your entire life. And if you know somebody who's suffering an addiction or you are, we want to let you know that, yes, you can do it or, yes, you can support that family member and you can watch them do it. You can watch them recover. So thanks for being here. Uh, Nani, before we get started... How are you? I'm doing really well. Yeah. See, uh, we got it. Yeah, we got us on all cameras. Okay, because you know the, the camera deal around here. Want to make sure everybody can see you. How yeah, you doing? I've been good. Things are going really well. Tribe's doing really well. We're yeah, very I excited need... about everything going on. Just tell everybody what it is. A, a little rehash on what your job is at Tribe Recovery Homes. Yeah. So I uh, business development and outreach, um, and what that means is that we go into the community. We talk with people, specifically our judicial partners um, and other partners in the community. So um, what I do specifically is work on maintaining those relationships and staying connected with people, but also working on getting referrals to tribe. And by referrals, you mean clients that need assistance? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Clients that need assistance. Exactly. Yep. Good. And how you been in life, girl? What's going Just on? What's doing good in life. Yeah. Yeah. Service commitments, positions. We have uh, the Colorado Regional Narcotics You work so Convention. hard. Do you have fun for yourself ever? Yes. Do you take fun for you? Yes, I do fun. I have you fun. Do? Yeah. You promise? Yep. Promise. You swear? Because yeah. I'll, I'll start checking on you on the weekend. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? And yeah. you're like, I'm online right now and I'm putting together a plan to help people. Girl, it's some time for you. Yeah. A little you time. But I know for real, thanks for all the work that you do for everybody. Thank you. Come on, girl. So Rock is our guest today. And I'm excited to have Rock here for a few reasons. I heard some great things about him um, before I got to meet Rock. Um, one of the first things I said to Nani online was, do you smell what the Rock is cooking? And of course, <laughs> Rock, you know, probably had an eye roll to that one because he's like, yeah, I hear this all the time. But he has an answer to it. When, he, when we go, do you smell what the Rock is cooking? His answer back in the day was... Meth. <laughs> so, so I was like, all right, Rock got a good sense of humor. Um, and I thank you for being here, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, Rock, this program is, is yours. We're going to turn it over to you, and it's yours to share your life. And um, when I first met you, I was like, man, you look real familiar. And you said, did I rob you before? And I was like, no, I recognize people who have robbed me. But it also told me, like, just like the other statement he made, it's going to be an interesting story. And it's a man with a great sense of humor and um, like to see where you are in your life now. 
Yeah, sure. So uh, I welcome you. We thank Rock for being our guest. It is Rock Kahiga from Oklahoma. Yep. O-K-L-A-H-O-M-A, Oklahoma. Sorry. Okay. Had to go there. Had to go there. (laughs) (laughs) Rock Kahiga from Oklahoma is our guest here on Sharing Our Stories, and we turn it over to you. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah, so... um, yeah, humor is a, a big part. Um, I like to laugh now um, because just um, there wasn't much laughter um, growing up and throughout my use. So I like to laugh now. I'm hardly ever serious, and I'm always told to take that stupid smile off my face a lot of times now. <laughs> so <laughs> and I fail at it miserably. Um, so yeah, I uh, my tribe is from Oklahoma. I've traveled around quite a bit throughout my life. Um, your tribe is from Oklahoma? Yes, sir. Tell, tell me about that. So um, I'm enrolled with the Otomazuria or Turbane Tache uh, tribe of Oklahoma. Um, we're 3,000 strong. Hold it down for the brown, yo. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also uh, Cheyenne River Sioux, Standing Rock Sioux in Iowa. So I'm a full-blooded mutt. Um, yeah, uh, really strongly connected with my culture, uh, my heritage. Um, very proud to be Native American. Beautiful. Um, so my tribe is from Oklahoma. I was actually born in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico, um, 40 some odd years ago. And uh, born to, uh, well, I can only speak for my, my father. Um, you know, my father was a hardworking man. Um, and, you know, as far as, as, as far back as I can remember, he always had a job. Um, however, he also had a problem with alcohol um, as well. Um, my mom left when I was uh, three, and uh, <clears throat> I didn't. I didn't. I've, I've never seen her since. And uh, I have an older brother and a younger brother, um, and she took them and left forty um, some odd years ago, and never. And I never got to be acquainted with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so my father, uh, growing up, was kind of rough, um, you know, with a, a single parent. Um, you know, my dad uh, had his substance abuse issues, and. Um, didn't he he was um he was abusive you know uh physically towards me uh for a number of years um as well as you know um emotionally abusive as well um unavailable i can i think i can remember and probably count on you know one hand the times that we've said you know i love you to each other it just wasn't something that was said um emotions weren't something that were um that weren't you know, displayed, um, you know, back in my day, it was always like, uh, you want something to cry about? I'll give you something to cry about mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, growing up was kind of rough. Um, always had that feeling of, uh, not being good enough, not being smart enough. You know, I, um, I remember getting, getting letters, uh, from our schools in the States, um, that I was in, you know, you're in a top 10 percentile of readers and mathematicians and stuff like that. And, um, I remember giving these to my dad and being so proud of myself, but my dad would be like, prove it, prove it, prove it, prove it constantly, just like prove it. And it was just like, I have this letter here signed by, you know, all these heads of cities and states and stuff. And it still just wasn't never good enough, you know, um, going out for sports. Um, you know, I've never been a big dude, always been built like a sick girl. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so going out for sports was always like a, a challenge for me, um, you know, like football, um, I tried, I tried football, um, and 
know, it was always when our team was ahead by 50 points and it was like three seconds left to get in there and do something. And uh, I had no Rudy. idea. Yeah, exactly. Like Rudy, <laughs> um, except for I never got the happy ending, which is, you know, um, so, yeah, I was and you know, I, I lettered in wrestling, actually, because I was like 96 pounds all through high school and like I had nobody to wrestle. So that's the only way I lettered is because I had no opponents whatsoever. So I lettered in high school uh, wrestling. Yeah. Um, so high school was, you know, um, high school was fairly, you know, trying to fit in. Um, I never so I, I growing up in New Mexico. Um, you know, my dad, again, was you know, really abusive. And I always thought that's how people were raised because that's, you know, that's what I grew up with. And I remember going to school once and my, we used to, my dad used to wear a belt with our last name engraved in a leather belt. And I had that in my back going to school one day. And I had bent over or something to reach a, and my shirt got pulled up and a teacher saw these bruises and my last name on my back and the state got involved and, uh, they were getting ready to take me away from my dad. And my dad was like, no, I'll quit drinking. Uh, just don't take you know, my boy away. Um, so he quit drinking cold turkey, um, as far as I know. And uh, the emotional and psychological verbal abuse became even more prominent then. Um, as, you know, you're not good enough. And, you know, then I, find out, then I found out you're supposed to have a mom, not just a dad. You're supposed to have a mom as well. So I started asking, you know, you know, where's my mom at? And I was always told that she didn't want you. Um, and that was all I was ever told. Um, and so growing up, and that's kind of what everybody in my family says, like, she didn't want you. She didn't want you. That compounded with, um, you know, uh, you know, never being good enough, never being smart, never being enough for my father kind of had me battling with low self-esteem issues all through high school, plus being built like a sick girl. And it was always like, dad's like, Oh, you got to go lift weights and stuff. It's like, everything there is so heavy. Why would you lift everything there? <laughs> um, you know, and, uh, <laughs> so, you know, I, I did, I never went to the gym, um, you know, and, you know, to ease the pain of, you know, not being good enough and not being smart enough. I started, you know, hanging out with the kids in the alleys and started out smoking cigarettes. Um, you know? Which always seemed like the cool kids at first. Right. That's mm. why it happens. Because yeah. yeah. you're like, oh, you look like the cool kids. You're smoking yeah, cigarettes. Yeah, you seem all right. Right. Yeah. yeah. This is yeah. where I fit in. And, you know, no questions asked. You know, here, have a cigarette. Let's go smoke. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of like where it started and where I started, you know, uh, going towards. And um, it's where I finally started to feel a little bit like like I belonged. And so I started smoking, start, started, stopped doing sports because, you know, smoking and sports don't really mix. Um and then I, we, you know, the smoking cigarettes and uh, evolved into drinking. Um, and when I drank, I remember back in, back when I started drinking, it was like, you know, your dad would give you 20 bucks, drop you off at the rolling rink, and that would be the night. You know, they didn't give a crap where you were mm -hmm. before cell phones and all that. So mm -hmm. I would take that 20 bucks and we would go to the projects in Bernalillo, New Mexico, and um, have our older friends buy us alcohol. And we would just drink all night long. And I remember drinking 40s of Mickey's and Oldie. Oh, yeah. Um, being like 13, 14 years old and thinking this was great because these people liked me. These people accepted me as the little skinny kid that didn't do good at sports. And I was, I was still smart trying to achieve academically, but I was attracted to the, the projects in Bernalillo. This is where I belong. These are my people. And I could forget 
about not being good enough and I could forget about not having a mom and I could forget about everything, you know, and just let loose. And it just, the more I drank, the more I forgot. And that's, you know, how it started. And that's from the moment I started drinking, that's how I started. Just, just drink to forget and fit in and be okay with myself finally. Um, and so that continued on. Um, and it evolved into skipping school, uh, missing school, grades dropping. And through all this, you know, um, it was never a problem um, with um, with my dad. My dad, did, like, once he stopped drinking, he turned into his career. And I kind of fell by the wayside. I kind of got to do whatever the hell I wanted to do. Um, no curfew, none of that stuff. And it was just, I got to do what I wanted to do. And I ran unchecked throughout middle school, throughout high school. Um, and then I started smoking weed. Um, and I, I thought, you know, this is it, I'd arrived. Um, at 49 years old and about 14 years old, I think my, my father had a massive heart attack. And um, as you can imagine from, you know, my mother's how to talk about it, my, my dad was my world, uh, my best friend. And so I almost lost my father at 49 years old, and it really shook me to, to my core. Um, and it changed. Uh, so we left New Mexico and went back to Oklahoma and uh, got to Oklahoma. And I was still, you know, um, the guy from the big city in Oklahoma. I went from Albuquerque, New Mexico, to a population of Tonkawa, Oklahoma, to a population of 3,000 people. Um, and so the culture shock there was just huge. And I never ran into racism until I moved to Tonkwal, Oklahoma. Um, and Oklahoma is predominantly made up of Native, Ameri Native Americans. So going back to Oklahoma, um, it was like being told you're nothing but a drunk and you're a paint sniffer and you're all of these things. You know, and I've never done inhalants, um, but I, I drank. You know, so it's like I always told myself, I was like, I don't want to be a statistic, you know, um, but still, in, you know, going back to Oklahoma and doing, you know, well in school for a while, and it still wasn't good enough. It still just wasn't enough. So I started doing sports again, started going out, and I was trying to do this balancing act, this dual life of, you know, being um, what my father wanted me to be as well as, like, where I wanted to fit in. And then it finally fell by the wayside that, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be what my father wants me to be, so let me do what I want to do. Quit sports, you know, uh Grades went down the tank, um, ended up just like going and partying all the time, met up with all my friends were older than me by a couple of years. So it was always, um, you know, partying, uh, going to school, going through the motions, you know, um, I was always the class clown, always trying to make people laugh um, and, and just there to have a good time. And so I started uh, hanging out with the, you know, some friends. And um, I remember, you know, smoking and drinking uh, just every, and it became, it was, it used to be just Friday through Sunday. And then it became Friday through Tuesday, then Tuesday through, and it just became a constant thing, going to school, drunk, missing school because I was too drunk. Um, and then cocaine showed up. And I remember being scared at 16 years old because I'd heard so many horror stories about cocaine, like you're going to kill you. So um, cocaine showed up and I made sure that everybody did their cocaine before I did mine. I'm going to be the last because if their heart explodes, then I'm not going to do it. <laughs> that was my, that, right? That was my guys around yeah. me. Well, then you know what? I'm not going to do it. Right. Yeah, that was it. I was like, I'm not going to do it. 
And I remember they cutting up lines on a Ouija board. And, you know, oh, right? That was the first time oh, I ever did Coke was on a Ouija board. <laughs> and I was like, this is going to end well. Um, so, yeah, everybody did their lines and nobody died. So I was like, okay, they're not, not going to die. I'm not going to die. And uh, I did it. And everything, you know, went numb, my face and my emotions. And I was like, okay, this is cool. This is great. This is wonderful. I can, I can, uh, you know, function. And being drunk kind of faltered when, you was on, when I was on cocaine. So um, Coke really did the trick for me for a while as well. And, uh, oh, it was Coke and then mixing Coke with weed and then mixing Coke with weed and alcohol, you know, doing st you know, stupid teenage things. And uh, that lasted for a few years. Um, and then meth showed up and everybody was like, oh, you like Coke? You're going to love meth. You know, it's going to, you know, everything that you are on Coke is going to you know, you're going to be magnified on meth. I was like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm the best person in the world on Coke. Let's Man, be even better. Those are the lies that they tell, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> and the lies you tell yourself. Yeah. And the lies I tell yeah. myself, exactly. So I, the first time I tried meth and I did this line and the whole right side of my face caught on fire and I was up for days. And I just remember like feeling like I was on top of the world and not missing anything was 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 really important to me. Not being left out or not being um, on anything, anything that I thought was important, which wasn't school, which wasn't anything. And so it started out as snorting lines and then smoking. And I always told myself, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna shoot up. I'm never gonna shoot up. I'll never became uh, to the point to where it's like, um, okay, hell, why not? You know. Sorting wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing anymore. Smoking, it wasn't doing it anymore. And plus, I like my teeth, even though they're jacked up. I still like my teeth. And so I was like, I'm going to shoot up. And so I started shooting up. And I just re I, I remember the feeling of everything going away, going fast. Um, <laughs> as, as cliche as that sounds, but mm -hmm. just everything just numbing. And I thought, okay, I'm going to be okay. I can be okay. I can function on this, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, I was, I had gone to college. Uh, I graduated. Okay. So back up a little bit. I was in my senior year in high school and I had, I was in, in school suspension. Um, my senior year in high school, taking four years of English, four years of science, four years of math. Um, and in-school suspension basically meant that as soon as I stepped foot on campus, uh, my principal had met me as soon as I met on campus and I was escorted to his office. I shared his office for the last like semester and a half of my senior year um, to where I was. I went into his office and I had to sit in his office where I did my schoolwork from while the, you were shooting up. Yeah. Math. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm yeah, I'm there and I was doing all of these all of my studies and thinking that meth was making me be able to concentrate and do better and do all of these things, thinking that, you know, I, this is what a, a normal high school student does, mm -hmm. you know, while everybody else is out, you know, being able to go to the classes, I'm stuck in the principal's office mm -hmm. doing four years of studies in order to graduate. And I did it. I graduated. I graduated 40, 46 out of a class of 45. So they actually like skipped one line of my transcript and then there's my name. 
Um, and so I, I graduated and I thought that was it. I thought that was the greatest thing in the world, being able to graduate high school. Um, and my dad was there and my family was there and there was, uh, no mom still, mm-hmm. I remember. And, you know, seeing all these people with moms and dads, you know, celebrating this momentous occasion is like, even though I'm supposed to be joyous, I still felt this. Why am I not good enough? What's wrong with me other than the obvious that I can't have a mom, you know? And that's, that's something that's always plagued me throughout my whole entire life. And so, you know, um, I remember throwing my cap up in the air at my graduation, saying bye to three people, walking to my my friend's car, getting in the car, going and had a handle of vodka in the car and just slamming it to numb those feelings of inadequacy that I've always had. And going and shooting dope and smoking dope. And, and it, it just that, that cycle. And then I got into college. And um, I don't know how I got into it. It was community college, but I got into college. So everybody gets into community college, right? <laughs> so I got into college and I'm still shooting dope and I'm still a raging alcoholic. And um, I get this opportunity to work for my tribe and uh, go to New Mexico, uh, NMSU. So I do it, and I end up going to this uh, New Mexico State University. And um, while I'm there, I'm still a raging alcoholic, blacking out pretty much every night, doing my studies, and it evolves into me (laughs) and the RA. Um, taking the uh, campus van, going down to Tijuana or to uh, Juarez, Mexico on the weekends and picking up cocaine to sell to the students at NMSU. Um, And thinking that this is normal. This is the life. This is what everybody wants. Um, And, you know, I graduated uh, that and went back, worked for my tribe for a while. And I didn't think there was anything wrong with my alcoholism. I didn't think there was anything wrong with my drug use because I was still doing these things, these these things like you know graduating and going to school and still excelling. And what my father you thought you were functioning. Yeah, I was yeah. functioning. What my father thought fell by the wayside. I was like, it. I thought you know, f it. I'm 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 doing these things, and it's still nothing's ever going to be good enough for him. So I'm just going to do what I want to do. And, and so I still continue to do this. And I worked for my tribe for a while. And uh, I uh, was going on these conferences and stuff, like 18 or 19 years old. And I thought I was balling. And, um, you know, going to these conferences, going to these hotels and racking up bar tabs. You know, I'm not even old enough to drink, but I'm on these EPA conferences and stuff and racking up bar tabs and thinking that this is fine. You know, missing parts of these conferences, going back, you know, trying to work on these grants for my tribe and still thinking that I'm okay. And then the law comes into play. And I get pulled over at like 19 or 20 um, after I think it was a high speed chase um, and getting out of the car, being as belligerent as I am and, you know, weighing like 100 something pounds. I didn't break 100 pounds until my sophomore year in college, thinking that was normal as well. Um, so I, I get in legal trouble and they tell me that I have to go to AA because I'd gotten, uh, open containers, minors in possessions, all this stuff. I had no drugs on me, I don't think at that time. And so I 
in order to keep my job, I had to go to five meetings a week. And I thought that was just ridiculous. And I threw a fit, but I did it for a little while. And then I was like, no, no, I don't have a problem. This isn't for me. And so I uh, lost my first job and thought, okay, this is whatever. And uh, started working for my tribe's casino and um, thought that was fine. Uh, Still going to school and did that for a little while. And then that stopped working. And then it was just like, I was going to the bigger cities, uh, networking as I called it. And becoming more involved with methamphetamines. Uh, Alcohol was kind of fading away because it didn't do anything for me anymore. And so it was more meth. And then introduced that I could start making meth and not buying it. Get out of the way. Um, So, um, yeah, I started uh, making meth and running uh, meth uh, from Oklahoma, to a five-state region around, you know, uh, Oklahoma, Kansas, Texas, New Mexico, Colorado. I put like 16,000 miles on my car in a month, you know, running, selling drugs um, and thinking this is it. And all the whole time as well, fooling my father into thinking that I'm still in school doing the great and working at a casino and doing all of these things. And finally, he was proud of me, but he was proud of me for the wrong reasons because he thought I was still in school. He thought I was still doing good in school and I was working at the casino. But meantime, I'm making meth and I'm selling meth. And I had him fooled enough to think that he was finally proud of me. And then legal trouble started happening again. Um, I started getting pulled over more and more, um, drinking, stuff like that. But I um, was able to get get this job um, as a wildland firefighter for the US Forestry Service. So while I'm on meth, I'm working at this government job and every time I would get pulled over, I would have meth on, I would have like a meth lab in the backseat of my car, but I would have these facades on and these badges, these government badges, and the cops would let me go each and every time. And I'm just like, I have just finished shooting up and I'm geeked out of my mind and there's, you know, probably half a pound of meth in the, the floorboard of my car. And the cops said, oh, hey, yeah, I know you're going to this or you're going to that job and blah, blah, blah. And he would let me go. I would skim by by the skin of my teeth. Now, mind you, I'm still like in my early 20s and under 100 pounds thinking I'm, you know, God's gift to everybody, you know, and looking like death run over twice and having this job, being able to travel throughout the United States. um, And my dad was proud of me. He didn't know about the drug problem. But all he saw was the fact that I had these jobs. And these, he saw the materialistic things. He didn't see the fact that I'm killing myself. And I thought I was happy um, because my dad was finally proud of me. Um, so I was still functioning, still doing these jobs, um, traveling throughout the United States. Um, started going to school to become a paramedic and did that with the U.S. Forestry Service. So I'm saving lives and riding around in the back of a rig and um, putting rigs in my arm at the same time, um, doing that. And it's just, things just started going out of control to where it's like meth became more important where I found out I could start selling meth more and I didn't and I didn't have to travel around so much. So I quit the US forestry job, started being a meth cook full time and selling meth full time. 
and it, it stopped working after a while. People would be under trees, and people would be on roofs, and people would be losing their minds, and there would be always me that would be rescuing them out of the trees, rescuing them off the roofs, talking them out of this, talking them out of that, and running my running my meth business at the time, I ran it like a regular business. I didn't take your TVs, I didn't take your guns, I take it I took folding money. If you didn't have it, don't come to me. Um, I was cold-blooded. I would kick down your door if you owed me $20. I would stand outside your house. You know, it, it was, it started turning me into a, a person I didn't like, but I didn't know it at the time. Looking back in hindsight, it was, you know, but I was insane running around on meth, um, staying up for days on end um, and thinking that was normal, picking out my face, you know, all the, all the horrible sh- stuff that we do when we're losing our minds. Um, I lost my father in 2007. That was it. I remember when I'd lost him and I came back, I was out on a bender that weekend and, uh, I came back. I thought it was going to be like any other weekend. And, um, my, my best, I pulled up to my best friend's house and I had a handle of Jack on me, I think, and walked in and like started automatically smoking to smoke a joint and just like slamming this bottle. And she's looking at me like I had lost my mind. And she's like, what are you doing? And I said, like, you know, hey, let's party. And she's like, your your father died. Your dad died. And I was like, no, no. I was like, you're, 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 no, you're not. I was like, no. Called my stepmom. And first thing she said is I'm leaving the funeral home. And you figured that would have stopped somebody. No, I was just even, I just started drinking even more and got through that, um, his services, um, without drinking, without any substances or anything. Um, and I believe the day after we buried him, I found myself with my friends, so-called friends again, putting a needle in my arm and not wanting to feel that. And um, I left Oklahoma and went to Kansas uh, and Stayed in Kansas for about six years and was uh, method evolved into crack and all everything. You know, I I, I didn't discern at this time is I wanted to numb the pain of not having my father there anymore. So um, this turned back into alcohol, um, started drinking, and I remember waking up once in in jail again, covered in blood. And it wasn't mine again, and. The cops had given me my car keys, and I don't know why, but they said, "Here, your car is over here, um, you know, here, and let me go. And so I went, staggered to my car, and the first stop I made was to the liquor store. And bought a th- I bought a thing of uh, Jack again, and I remember not showering, still wearing the same clothes, blood-soaked, and knowing that this is not normal. People don't do this. Mm-hmm. And so I drove back down to Oklahoma where I had some family and was asking, you know, I was like, hey, I need help. Some of my family at the time, they were just like, I hope you find it. Shut the door in my face. Went to some friends and they were like, why don't you just stop drinking? (laughs) I was like, F if I know, you know, I don't know. And so I had gone, I I think I was down in Oklahoma City and I was at my end. I was like, this is it. I, I don't want to be here anymore. This is too much. Uh, the legal troubles were piling up. All you know, losing my father. And 
I remember driving down I-35 just in this blur of alcohol and I have a brother that lives here in Denver and he's he has he has now 18 years in a program and I remember calling him and just being in so much pain and just being like I don't know what to do but I'm about to take my car and hit one of these cement pillars under this bridge and he was he told me he's like I love you and I will help you if you're serious he said just come out to Denver and uh I said, okay. And I, you know, I uh, went to a detox in Oklahoma that my aunt, that my, my brother had arranged for me. So I detoxed, got out and went back to my place, packed up all, everything that I thought was important clothes and drove here to Denver uh, on a women of prayer and a little bit of hope that what I had been doing wasn't working anymore. And uh, I just remember talking to my dad the whole way out here, like, please, you know, if I'm doing the right thing, just help me. And, you know, coming out of a detox, out of everything that I had been doing for all this time, I re- remember like I was so crazy that we had skipped forward in time because we, we went through this time, I went through the time zone. Uh, change and I thought, well, I can't go back now because it'll cause a rip in a space time continuum. <laughs> and <laughs> this is a literal thought I had. And I can't go back now because it'll cause a rip in a space time continuum all, all in the world. Uh, that's how important I was. And so, as you are, as I, you as still I was, are. I'm not that important, dude. I think um, everybody is. It's my personal opinion. So <laughs> I get I get to Denver and uh, you know I get. Uh, I get 12 step by my brother and a friend um, at a coffee shop basement and um, went to my first meeting the next day, I think, and uh, here in Denver. And I got sober here in Denver um, and I got about five years under my belt, uh, four years, five years. And I moved to Chicago. I got a great job offer to go to Chicago. So um, and I, I did. I, I remember I didn't want to go because. Denver was my, my, where I got sober and I didn't want to leave that, that comfort, you know, my safe place. Yeah. So I was trying to figure out every way to get out of it. But, you know, um, after a while and talking to my sponsor and, you know, praying about it and I went and, you know, the money was great and I got to Chicago and ended up finding, um, a program in Chicago, CMA, a crystal meth anonymous. And um, thinking, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to I'm going to give this a shot. And I went to you know start going to meetings on a regular basis, and then it just kind of started feeling empty. Like I was going through these motions, um, but I didn't get a sponsor while I was in Chicago. I you know wasn't doing the step work um, while I was in Chicago, and it was just me going to work and me you know uh, proving myself to myself that, you know, I'm employable and I'm here for a reason. And so I stopped going to meetings, stopped doing, um, stopped doing everything that I was supposed to do, stopped making myself available, stopped calling the people that I had known in Chicago. And the next thing you know, I'm back to putting a needle in my arm. And I remember sitting in my condo in Chicago, loading up this rig and looking around at everything I'd worked so hard for. And you know, this my little empire, you know, and looking at it all and thinking, I'm gonna lose all of this and still push a needle in my arm, 
and continuing to do it, you know, and I was functional, I guess, maybe for about a year or two. Then the mess started getting the better of me. Um, then it just became where I wanted to work from home and I was allowed to work from home. So it allowed me to isolate more. And so um, once I was able to you know, start isolating work from home, it was off to the races. I wouldn't, I wouldn't work. I would work. It would just be like putting a needle in my arm, running around, doing drugs, um, but still collecting that paycheck from this job. And then um, it got to be where they wanted me to come back into work. And I was like, no, 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 I can work from home. Like, no, you have a team to manage and I can manage it from home. And I lost that argument. So I ended up going back to work. And then um, I started trying to find ways out of work, FMLA, all of that good stuff. And, you know, I tried to use FMLA on my teeth of all things. And um, it didn't work. So my job and my boss at the time, um, she is an RN. And I remember her being honest with her when I first met her, like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm an, I'm an addict, I'm in, I'm in recovery when I first met her and then going to her and telling her I'm an addict and I hate myself and I want to die and I have these ropes in my closet and I go home and I look at them and I don't know what stops me every night from not hanging myself in my closet but coming back here. And she put me into detox and she put me in a rehab and she did that, you know, she did everything that she was supposed to do. And it still wasn't good enough. I just didn't want to be there. I just wanted to continue to use. And so I uh, ended up quitting that job and left Chicago. And um, I, I was going on my farewell tour is what I called it. And I was, I was ready to end it all. I went back to Oklahoma, burned all those bridges in Oklahoma. Every bridge that I could burn, I burned. Um, every, every person, every, you know, person that could hurt emotionally, I hurt them. Um, I just didn't give, I just didn't give a, a crap anymore. I was done. Um, and I, uh, remember getting on a plane coming back here to Denver and I have a friend, really close friend of mine that's buried out at uh, Fort Logan Cemetery. And my intention was to come here, say goodbye, buy a bag of dope, go up to the mountains and never be seen again. So I get off the plane and all I have at this time from my empire in Chicago, all I have is a backpack full of clothes. And somehow I ended up back at 1311 York Street, standing on stairs, looking up those freaking stairs that seemed to go on for eternity, and standing there making up every excuse of not to go back into that building, um, not to go up those stairs. So I remember calling my first sponsor and smoking a cigarette and telling myself, well, that meeting's already started. I can't go in late. Oh, that meeting's already started. Let me call my sponsor. Let me do, do every excuse um, to go, not to go into the meetings. But finally, I made it into a meeting and um, I ran into a friend and she had had a couple of years before me when I first moved here um, years ago. And I remember just feeling so ashamed walking into those rooms. I was like, what if somebody sees me? Oh, I don't want to tell them I'm relapsed. I'm the, I'm the only alcoholic and addict that's ever relapsed, you know? <laughs> and um, I remember walking up to her and she comes up, she gives me this big hug because she hasn't seen me in close to 10, 15 years. She gives me this big hug. She's like, oh my God, hi, how are you? 
she's like, uh, I'm celebrating three. And I was like, years? She says, days. Oh, how crazy. And right then, it was just the, that feeling of uniqueness just went away. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm on day three. And um, being able to sit with her and sit in the meeting um, with somebody that knew where I was allowed me to sit there throughout that whole day. And so I called my brother back up and said, this is where I'm at. You know, I'm at my end again. And uh, I went to uh, Stout Street for a couple of days, uh, lasted in Stout Street for a couple of days. And um, <laughs> that's common. It's, a, yeah. it's OK. Yeah, yeah. that's OK. Um, so Not a sign of failure at all. <laughs> right. So I went to Stout Street for a couple of days, lasted Great there. Place. Yeah. Um, no knocks, Stout Street, do your no, thing. No, they're mm-hmm. a great place for real. Um, so went there for a couple of days and then that didn't work out for me. Uh, so then I, my brother, uh, who's like, who saved my life, um, you know, had all these connections. It's like, how about sober living? You want to do sober living? And no, at this point I'm like, I'll do anything, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I got to another sober living, uh, Aurora sober living. And I was there, managed to get, you know, eight year or eight months there, managed one of their houses, and they, Aurora Sober Living did for me what I, it had what I needed at the time, the structure mm-hmm. and everything. And I evolved from that to Oxford House, uh, where I stayed in Oxford House until I got a year. And I promised myself I would do a year in sober living. Um, so I did that, and I was of service in Oxford House. I managed to uh, be their uh, chapter chair for a little while, and then I uh, met some great people there. Um, moved out of there. I just uh, moved out in, I think, March or April of this year, signed at least to my own place. Um, and I started working for this great company or this great organization, um, Tribe Recovery. Um, and through all that, I, I still attended the meetings. I still go to meetings. I, I have a sponsor. I do, uh, you know, I, I sponsor people, you know, and it's funny. Um, when people look at me and they come in and they tell me that, you know, they look at me as a sign of hope and I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm just a dude that got lucky. You know, I got lucky by being able to remember the suggestions that I was told of go to a meeting, make yourself available as slutty as that sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> you know, give back what's been so freely given to me, um, you know, and, Today I have a life um, where I get to help people on a daily basis. Um, and it's, of all the jobs I've ever had, this is the job that I look forward to the most. I don't fear going to work. I don't fear what people think um, because I love my job. For the first time in so many years, I, I love my job. I love what I do. Um, I help people and you know, I share my story with people um, and I, I can sit across from people and tell them wholeheartedly and honestly that I know where they are because I've been there. Um, I go to meetings and you know, I, I just lost my mother, my biological mother. I call her my carrying case cause I've never met her. Um, so I've just lost, I lost her. Uh, I found out through Instagram. Um, thank God for social media, thank right? God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I found out through social media that my biological mother, my carrying case, has uh, had passed away a few weeks ago. It's like two weeks ago. Um, and so all the range of emotion that you think that 
you know, you'd feel like the anger and rage and all that stuff I, I felt for this stranger. And I finally got to see her for the first time in her obituary. And seeing her finally made me realize, honey, that this is just a person. You know, my dad um, did the best that he could do given the situation that he was given. And it took me so long to get there and to realize that. And I wouldn't have gotten there had I not done some work. The, you know, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous saved me the first time around. And it's done an amazing that it's an amazing program and it did what it was supposed to do. It relieved the want for me to want to drink. And so through that, I was able to realize that, you know, my dad was just a man. He was just a human being doing the best that he could. And, you know, he was battling his demons. I, I was too young to see that. Um, but I see that now he was battling his demons just as I was battling my demons. Um, he was doing what he, he, he was doing the best he knew how. And when I saw my mom in an obituary, I finally put a face to this void that's been there for the past 40 some years. And made me realize that this is just a person as well, you know, battling her demons. I don't know why she did what she did and I'll never know, but there's a reason. And it made me the strong person that I am today. Um, so I, uh, today I am, I'm able to give back to my community. Um, and to help um, in a positive way, I I hear so much when I'm doing my job. It's like I didn't I didn't know that resources out here were like this were available, yeah. you know. Right. And it's I didn't, you know. The multiple times I went to jail, there was nobody mm-hmm. in the lobby waiting for me, giving mm-hmm. me hope, um, you know. And that's one of the things that I like is being able to see and being able to let people know that there's hope out there, and you don't have to go through the trudges and the ditches and you don't have to, your rock bottom doesn't have to look like mine, you know? Um, it doesn't have to be horrible. There's hope out there. There's people that love you, you know? Even if they don't know you, you know, I I love you. You're human beings. You know, you're capable and you're worthy of love. I'm worthy of love, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it is something that I struggle with today um, through my upbringing is telling myself that I'm worthy of love. Um, and being able to tell people that I love them and hug people um, and show affection. Those are things that, I, that I've that i learned through this program of recovery and being part of this organization that I'm a part of now. Um, you know, they, they took a chance on the weird kid and um, <laughs> and I, I, I like it. Like I was telling uh, my old boss, I think I finally found my tribe. I've, you know, I find people that accept me for me you know, I've always told myself, you know, I always looked at myself as different. You know, you're Native American, you're left-handed, you're an alcoholic, you're an addict. One more and you could win the lotto. You know, <laughs> it's just like, it's, it's so, it's like all of these things that make me me. Now people look at me and they're like, you know, you're just, I'm, I'm fallible. Um, and, you know, people tell me that, you know, I, I, I have something. I don't know what it is. I don't think of myself as extraordinary or anything. I, I'm just a dude who got lucky, um, who found the rooms of AA and A. I now attend CMA. Go ahead. Why do you say I got lucky? Because I, when I heard your story, you put in work. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that that's not luck. You. So why do you say you got lucky? I got lucky by saying I got lucky by getting into the rooms, um, and still being able to get into the rooms and go into the rooms, uh, finding my way back. Um, with a little bit of help and a little bit of guidance, remembering the suggestions that I was told, um, you know, raising my hands when asked if I can sponsor people, 
Um, so I got I got lucky in that aspect. Okay. That's how I got lucky. I get it. Um, the work um, that I did that I've done is mine. Um, you know, I just celebrated two years on the twenty first of October, yeah. and um, very big deal. Congratulations! I, uh, thank you. Um, and it's something that I that I hold to my you know. Um, for those that know me, you know that my life, I pretty much, it's transparent. I, I like to make people laugh, and I try to find humor in all of those things that I do. Because in my addiction and in my alcoholism, I never laughed. I was I was a horrible, mean person. You were standing outside people's houses. Right. Yeah, yeah. Kicking, that, that sounds like a horrible, right. mean person. That right. sounds like a scary guy. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so I, I, I hurt a lot of people. And so I like, uh, now, you know, I like to laugh. I like mm -hmm. to be able to make people laugh and find humor in things. Um, even if it's, you know, you you shot up last night, cool, at least you're here. Mm -hmm. You know, people come to me all the time and they're like, oh, I effed up. Um, I, I relapsed. And being being somebody that's relapsed, like it's not a F up, it's a mess up. Yeah. Because you still have your life, you still have, you know, your, your, your resources. You still have somebody here that gives a damn about you. I was like, you may have just met me, but it's me. You know, I'm here and I'm going to help you as much as I can. You know, I'm that person that gives a damn now. Um, and I can do that um, because I, somebody gave a damn about me once and they still give a damn about me. Um, I'm loved. So the least I can do is love somebody else in return. Um, I'm cared for and I'm protected. Every day, I'm protected by my higher power. And that's something that my sponsor has always told me. No matter what, no matter how much you get freaked out, you're loved, you're cared for, and you're protected. And that's something I share with everybody is no matter what happens or what you're going through, you're loved, you're cared for, and you're protected. Mm -hmm. You know, um, by your higher power, whoever that may be, God, Wakanda, um, you know, whatever you choose to call them, you know, that person is always looking out for you. Um and even when I, you know, looking back and all my addiction, you know, being homeless, running the streets, you know, I never went without. I had food. I had a way to shelter myself. I had clothes on my back. Those basic necessities that some people take for granted, um, I always had. And looking back on it, it was my higher power taking care of me. Even when I turned my back on my higher power and thought that I knew better, you know, um, and I know where these people are now. You know? So the least I can do today is give back a little bit and help and be an ear. You know, and tell people that you can get lucky too. Just have a little bit of willingness. Like a big book tells us, we just need a mustard seed of faith to open that door. Yeah. You know, and that's all I had a lot of times. You know, the first time when I wanted to kill myself and driving down the highway brother said, if you really want help, it's there. All I had was a mustard seed of faith driving out here on a whim and a prayer. And, you know, um, that's all I had. And it got me through. And coming back again to these rooms, um, all I had again was a little bit of faith that this is going to work this time. Because um, everything else quit working. The needle quit working. The bottle quit working. Everything else quit working except for the faith that I had in my higher power. Looking back, my higher power is always there, making sure that I was taken care of, um, even when I was out screwing up. And um, it was a great thing to be able to find my tribe now. Um, yeah, celebrating two years, um, it's great. I worked really hard 
um, to get to where I am today. And this time, I think it's so much different um, because I'm, I'm, I know when I get in my head and I get in my feelings and I get uncomfortable that I can sit there and I can sit in them. And I have this tribe of people around me that will support me through that and let me be me authentically. Um, even if I show up as a wreck, um, I can still show up as a wreck and they're going to love me and take care of me and want me around unconditionally. Mm-hmm. And that's it, for the first time, it's been really awesome to be able to feel and emote and tell people I love them um, and tell people that I care about them and really genuinely mean it. And yeah, I just, it's an, it's been amazing. And so the least I can do is, yeah, give back a little bit in any way I can. Yeah. So um, that's all, that's it for me. And all I got to say is, you know, if you're out there and you're struggling um, with anything, addiction, um, I'm here. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Um, Damn it, rock um, is who I am on Facebook. Um, it's something that everybody says. Damn it, rock. Um, <laughs> so um, if you find me on Facebook, reach out. Uh, I'm an ear to listen to. There's hope out there. There's 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 help out there. Um, you don't have to struggle, and you don't have to be alone. You don't have to do this alone. That's all I got. Thanks. Tell them where they can find you um, working with Tribe. Oh yeah, so I, I can be found um, at 1370. Um, Elati Street, which is right across the street from the Denver City Jail. Um, it's called the AIDS Center, which is the um, Assessment, Intake, and Diversion Center. Uh, I'm there Monday through Friday from like 9 to 4. Um, I'm there helping out, getting people into sober livings, uh, finding them the help that they need. Not only sober livings, but if they need um, substance abuse, mental health uh, help, um, I'm there. We were, I work in a cooperative environment. So there's o- multiple agencies that come through there on varying days. Uh, I'm there, though, stationed Monday through Friday. If I'm not there, you can find me at Second Chance Center, uh, Second, Chance, Second Chance in the City, which is at 1391 Delaware Street. So that little legal block uh, is where I'm usually at. Um, so come and see me. Come and talk to me. I'll be more than happy to help and listen. So thanks. Yes. That's, all I got. That's awesome. I love this guy. Yeah, man, you are an awesome guy. Thank you. Um, so from now on, it's uh, can you smell what the rock is cooking? Hope. Hope. Not meth. Hope. hope. Yeah. <laughs> it's not this meth man anymore. Is, right. hope. cooking hope, spreading hope. Yeah. Um, that man, thank you for sharing. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for being an open book. Thank you for being so transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, and congratulations on two years. Thank you. And here's to, to many, many more. And, and for that work you're doing in our community. Mahai, this is sharing our stories. And our guest today has been the one, the only rock. If you smell what the rock is cooking. Um, if you would like to be a guest on our program, please contact us. We would love to have you. We would love to have you share in your recovery. Um, share and be transparent about your life. We believe that this program, by doing it, we have a hope that it reaches at least one person in our community. And hopefully that person can say, you know what? I related to what The Rock had to say. The Rock. (laughs) I related to what Rock had to say. And uh, it made me think about myself. And it told me that, you know what? I can do this too. Maybe you've struggled with relapsing and you go, you know what? I just relapse and I, I don't know how to stay clean. You can relapse and you can definitely 
get clean and stay clean. So um, we want to let you know that if you want to come be on our program as somebody who's in recovery, please do that. If you need to reach out, if you are looking for somebody to help you, you can contact anybody here. The number for Tribe is 720-60-TRIBE. That's 720-60-TRIBE. You can go online to triberecoveryhomes.com. And we also want to thank uh, a big special thanks to Caring for Denver. Caring for Denver is an organization here in the Mile High that helps our recovery community stay connected to better assist those looking and in need. So we want to thank you for being a part of this program. You can find it on Facebook. You can find it on YouTube. Please like, share, and subscribe. And please join us as we continue to share stories of recovery. Thank you to Rock, my man. Yes. And we will see you again, again, Mile High, for sharing our stories. Thank you.